The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey Rockheads, forget your trouble and strife for a minute and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 154 with guest Graham Parker, recorded live at Vbug UK. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net training developers to work smarter, and now offering hands-on VBNet and ASPNet classes remotely online at www.franklins.net. And by Telerik RAD Controls, the most comprehensive suite of components for ASPNet development online at www.telerik.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers online at www.code-magazine.com And now, the man who's working for the world record for most jet lag, Carl Franklin! Thank you, thank you very much. This is Carl Franklin, and you're listening to .NET Rocks. This week, coming to you from Slough, England. Yeah, you. I wouldn't pronounce it Slough. It's S-L-O-U-G-H... Slough? I, yeah, it's, I call it Slough, but well, apparently they, it's called Slough. The they pronounce it Slough. Slough. Yeah, yeah. And So we're at the offices of VBug, which is a uh, community company, really. It's a, it's a small group that organizes a, a, a Visual Basic users group, VBug, in England. And, you know, they charge dues. And they have they sell MSDN subscriptions, and they do some other things to keep themselves, uh, you know, in business, so that they can actually organize the conference. Yeah, I mean, it's a this is an ongoing concern here. Lots of stuff around, people working. It's a Friday, but right. uh, you know, the office is humming, and we've been having a good time here. It's fun to be doing a show, you know, in a strange and foreign land, and not yeah. Canada or the U.S. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, we got a great show for you this week. I know uh, we don't have any emails to read or. Or anything like that. We're, we're not sort of plugged in our usual way with the with the resource that we normally have. But uh, we do have some great stories for you. And uh, before we talk with Graham Parker, who is a, a V-Bug, you know, uh, person, we actually have a recording that we did at the V-Bug conference of a really interesting, uh, not a really a contest, but it, it was a code-off. Right. Right. So one of the guys, uh, uh, you know, suggested that four of the sort of superstars in the area, the, the rock local star folks, local guys, right. they all do a user interface to some web services for uh, for online banking. With the intent to demonstrate what Studio 2005 would do for them. Yeah. 
So they, they did a whole bunch of different user interfaces, and then they showed them at the end of the day, on the first day, and they'd been working on them all day. Yeah, the, well, we watched them working on them, too. We were in, harassing them in the room while they were going on. Right. So uh, before we talk to Graham Parker, let's roll this uh, recording that we did from yeah. the V-Bug conference Just a, you at know, the code-off. The point at which we step in here that you see this recording is after each one of the four people involved, and we'll introduce them to you in the recording, had demonstrated their version. They had seven minutes apiece. I yes, timed them. Seven right. minutes each. And we didn't record that part because it was all visual and it didn't seem to make sense. Right. So each one has demonstrated the client for seven minutes and uh, gotten peals of applause. And yeah. then we sat down to interview them all on stage in front of the whole V-Bug audience. Right. So here it is. Hey, Rockheads. How you doing? <laughs> We're here at V-Bug in Reading, Reading, not Reading, not Reading, Reading, Reading. England. And uh, Richard, we're here. What do, you, what do you think of this place? I'm, uh, it's a beautiful facility and a uh, great bunch of people. We had a good time this, today so far. Yeah, uh, I kicked off the day with the keynote and we've had sessions all day. I know you spoke, Mark spoke, Mark Miller's here. Yep. And uh, I am speaking tomorrow. And of course, all the local celebrities are here. We just happen to be with four of them right now. And, and blew my mind, actually. You know what? My, we've just seen this demonstration. You guys worked one day, uh, or a half a day, really, to put together an example of this finance app, all working against the same web service, but we saw a, a, a WinForms version. We saw an ASP.NET version. We saw the office, uh, the office implementation, and we saw a mobility implementation. Mobility. And my reaction, and actually, Mark said this to me as well, was, you, this is what they should have done at the launch. Yeah, I you know, agree. You want to show what Studio 2005 is all about. This is the best demonstration I've ever seen, is four guys making four different apps that essentially do the same thing with the same set of tools. And we're going to talk to them about it, but first I'd like them to go ahead and introduce themselves. Let's start with you, Steve, since Hi. you're immediately to my left here. I'm Steve Harris. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Steve Harris. I've been in the, uh, the IT industry for about 24 years, uh, run a consultancy for about 20 years of that, and now head up a development team for uh, a company based in the Thames Valley. Excellent. Okay, hi, I'm Rob McDonald. Um, today I was building the office solution in the co-off. Uh, like Steve, I've been in the industry for many more years than, than I like to admit. Um, what do I do? I spend a lot of time uh, when I'm not writing code. Um, doing training, putting events together, both for uh, Microsoft internally and for various external things. And uh, I've been doing that now for over five years with .NET. All right, Graham? Yeah, my, my name's Graham Parker. Um, I'm a uh, software developer for about 10 years with uh, Windows and VB, and I'm looking for a job. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Tony? <laughs> My name is Tony Witter. Uh, I've been coding code for my sins for over 30 years now. Anybody who says I don't look old enough gets a 15 minute consultancy session for their charge. <laughs> <laughs> I, I now spend my time doing .NET development consultancy and training uh, all over the globe, actually, but mainly in the UK. So let's talk about this code off. So uh, you all, all your, as Richard said, the task was to create a UI in different uh, in different ways to existing web services. Uh, for for a banking application, and uh, Steve, you did the ASP.NET UI. Yeah, I did the Web Forms application. It's uh, an area I've focused on for oh, since .NET started coming out in the pre-betas. 
Uh, I've done a, an awful lot of work with it. We, we use it extensively in-house, and uh, I think it's fantastic technology. I'm a real champion of it, definitely. Yeah, one thing I noticed above, uh, with your demo, above all the rest, that there were so many extra features that were just crammed into yours that you really didn't do. You know, the ASP.NET was there yeah. uh, to do all these great things. You gave uh, it a nice look with the master pages. That was a, a great addition. I guess it wasn't. It obviously didn't take a lot of time that you nope. really grabbed that in there. Ten minutes before the end, it looked awful. Uh, yeah. Ten minutes of formatting with one master page, and you can make an enormous difference, definitely. Boom. And Steve, we sat in the, we sat in the room with you uh, guys today, and I apologize for all the noise that we made. Mark um, uh, made, made, uh, but uh, you you didn't start off the day so great. No, no, we we had a few little problems. Uh, uh... I thought they were very normal kind of problems. You know, we we totally underestimate when we're starting a new project off that sort of vertical stripe test. What's my build environment? Can we speak to the web server? Is the security for the database set up properly? You know, are, have we got that portability working properly? And you guys hit every single one of those yeah. problems, didn't we, you? We said no to all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so how long did it take about? Uh, um, we didn't get any coding done really before half 11, I guess. Yeah. Um, Pretty so, much the whole morning was yeah. banging around just getting the base environment to work. Yeah. You started at half 11. <laughs> 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 so, and, uh, and Rob, you, uh, you, you did the office implementation. I did, and... Um, By choice? Uh, well, uh, I have to admit that uh, when we looked at doing the four options, because uh, I was responsible for putting together the team doing the code off, I, I thought rather kindly said, I'll have whatever's left at the end. Yeah. Uh, and these three guys picked up the three options, and that left me doing Office. That was with VSTO? And that was using Office VSTO. Right. But actually, I was really amazingly happy about that, and I'll tell you why. Um, a year or so ago, Tony and I were involved doing a smart cloud roadshow for Microsoft around various Microsoft offices in Europe. And Tony had the job of trying to explain to people what the VSTO functionality for uh, Visual Studio 2003 was and how you could do that stuff. Mm. And all the business benefits of hooking stuff into Office, of course, were there, just as they are and always have been. Uh, but the problem is that the coding absolutely sucks. It was very yeah. arduous yeah. to do that kind of work in 2003. No, that wasn't technical, but that was a thing. Yeah. It took Tony about an hour and a half of really explaining to people everything about what's going on in the registry, all those kind of things, to create a smart app. Yeah. Okay. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but what you did in the 2005 edition, you could have done those exact same things in 2003. Like, I think feature wise, it's all the same. Just took much it, less it took code. What I did. Yeah. You could do all of those. So things. the create, you, I mean, you you had the smart pane in action. You used a a smart tag. You had the auto populate. I mean, all those things going on. The main thing in two thousand five is it's a lot less painful to do that. It's massively less painful. I pretty much had the action pane set up. I had my little smart smart tag built. I had uh, my data binding through the web service going straight onto the screen through a type data set. I had that done in an hour. What I did wow. for the rest of the day, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> you you did what most office people did. You decorated. You had a graph. Yeah. Yeah. You made, made a graph, and you did the color trick. I mean, I, you know, I realize I know exactly how much trouble it is to actually make that thing, that make that column color sensitive based on the data that's in it. It's more of a hassle than it was pulling down the data from the web service and populating a grid with it. Hmm. Well, sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. And I think that what I did was do it in a rather cheaty kind of way. 
and I just used the Excel features for um, conditional formatting. Right. So that was just done in Excel. I didn't write any code for that. That was just point, click, done, bang. I, just, just like my graph was. Yeah. And yeah. as you said in your presentation, most of your code was just the binding and the working with data sets. There really wasn't a whole lot in there. It was just you, you hooked up your data sources to the web services ahead of time, and then it Oh, very enough. much so. When I started looking at this technology um, back in the summer, I just went out and bought two books this thick on office programming. And when I say this thick, I'm on the radio. I mean like six <laughs> inches thick. <laughs> and um, I thought I'm going to need these books to explain to me how the office object models work for yeah. Excel. They're still on the shelf. There's no tree stand on the back of the spine. I've just not had to use those books to build the solutions yeah. I've been doing over the summer. Steve, let me, let me get back to you for a second. Um, let's name off, because I was really just blown away by the number of features that you had in your application yeah. right out of the box in SPNet. Let's name them off. Okay. You, you we had, uh, kind of started with the master page. Master uh, pages. The master page gave us the basis for all the content pages, mm -hmm. which are the ones that do the work. Uh, I used forms authentication and the ASP.NET web configuration to set that up. Uh, that uses the membership provider. Membership provider. I also used the role provider. And those two then link in with the sitemap tool to allow me to define which roles get to which nodes within the sitemap. All right, so far, how much code have you written? Uh, for that lot, none. All right, keep going. <laughs> um, coupled onto the sitemap tool are various uh, navigation controls. I chose to use the TreeView navigation, uh, navigation control. Yeah. Uh, that hooks in with those things. Uh, coupled in with the forms authentication are various login controls. Mm -hmm. So uh, I use the login view, the main login control, and the create user wizard control. Uh, there's a couple of others as well that are, are kind of in there to hook it all yeah. together. And at that stage, there's probably about ooh, four lines of code written. Uh, it's right. not big right then. And the validation controls as well? The validation controls are in there. Um, the validation controls are just hooked up with some uh, drop-down lists and yeah. some text boxes. But a lot of the data was displayed through the new grid view. And the grid view got its data from uh, an object uh, data source, object list data source. And the object data source couples straight onto the web services. Right. Yeah, my object data So we're about four, up to four lines of code we're, now. Though. Yeah, we're up to about four lines of okay, code. Okay, keep going. Now, I could have at that stage made a decision to couple the object data sources straight onto the query string parameters, which is how, for example, the account ID is passed from one page to another or transaction IDs. I didn't do that because naturally users tend to hop around, they bookmark pages, they go right. forwards and backwards. Yeah. I wanted to make the application robust, so I did write a bit of code which would go and provide the parameters to the object data source. Okay. And in each case, that could have been probably four lines of code. I made it a bit more robust, and so on each of the pages, there was probably about eight lines of code. Because you were hooking the session object. Yeah, right? I was keeping the data in session state so that if the user left the page and jumped straight back to it, then we wouldn't get a problem. We wouldn't end up with, uh, with no data being displayed okay. in the data list there. All right, good. So the majority of the, of the code was handling what the user might do rather than necessarily providing that core functionality. You really didn't take the shortest route in the code there, but you recognize that session is a better way to manage that kind of data from a privacy point of view, from a stability point of view, yeah. and that's just going to incur more code. Yeah. Okay, Graham, you did the uh, Windows Form yeah, implementation. So tell us, uh, tell us what, what your uh, scenario was like. Um, it was, I started off just with a basic tab control, I wanted to tab, be able to tab between the different screens. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, sort of layered um, some table layout controls and split containers and just things to get the UI looking, looking nice. Yeah. Um, 
I miss. I'm so gutted about this. I miss <laughs> that object data source thing, and I okay. the long way around the, t- the way you um, you go to the previous versions, and I actually okay. um, connected to the web service, instantiated the proxy, created the proxy, called it. Um, the data set in the proxy call. Yeah. And, um, but you know, that's that's yeah, what we've been. Yeah, that's the way we've done. So it. We've been doing it. You know. It still, um, it still works at the end. Yeah, it works great. Right. So, uh, in in terms of user interface, you had some tab controls. What are the basic things that this application did in all four of your situations? What What were the main functionality? There was essentially three um, categories of web servers. So there was web service to get account information get transaction information and get pays information. Uh-huh. You could retrieve information about different people's bank accounts and make uh, payments from those bank accounts to different uh, payees. Yeah. And you could transfer money between the bank accounts as well. So each each category of web service had various web methods. And you had to know what the web methods were, look at the signatures, and start to work with those and uh, build our application on top of that web service. So at the start of the day, we were all given a USB drive, just stick it in the back, had a um, SQL 2005 database on. We attached to that with a set of web services in the business layer. And we used that, um, that, those web services in the business layer as the, uh, as the foundation for our application. Uh, and we just built, all of us just built the UI uh, right. on top of that. And one thing I really enjoyed about your, uh, your implementation is you built uh, the deployment with click once into this. Uh, how did that, how how cool is that? It was when I first saw this, I was blown away by how awesome it was. Um, it's just so easy to use. So, what are the steps that you have to go through in order to do this? In, in order to do that, you need to publish uh, your application. So, uh, it goes through a build and publish uh, routine. You can set parameters when you publish it. So, you, you can um, upgrade the version number, and you can choose whether the application is available online or um, offline as well. Um, and then you publish it to a web server and you install it from the web page on that web server. And once it's installed, it's copied to your local machine. You can uninstall it through add and remove programs as well. And it will check for updates, which this is the real sort of right. saver yeah. once deployment. Once you've actually published it, it's similar to publishing a web application. It's on the server. Anyone using your application, as long as they um, installed it on their machine, it can actually check for updates and download those updates automatically. And I kind of got to, to lunchtime and um, some of my basic connectivity was working. And I started to think, well, what features do I really want to show um, Windows Forms? And ClickOnce deployment is definitely one of those that, that, that yeah. you need to show. It needs to talk. So all of the data, I mean, you showed us, you did a publish on the code. And then you fired up the app again, and right away this other little dialogue popped up and said, "Hey, there's a new version. Do you want it?" Mm-hmm. That all comes for free from click once. Then so you said yes, and it loaded up, installed itself, and fired up. And one of the things that you mentioned was the parameters when you set up the click once deployment. You can be offline or online. What is the difference between those two things? Um, well, if you if you choose to publish it um, and for it only to work if you're online, as I understand it, checks that the um, the server and services available before the application will run. So if you choose for it to work in an offline state, you obviously have to take that into account um, that if you're offline, your web services might not be available. You so you might not be using the latest version, but it's going to work. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay, very cool. And when you, when you go into add-remove programs, as well as being able to remove the application entirely, you can also roll back to the previous version, and all that functionality comes for free. 
as well. And you don't need admin rights to install it. So it's pretty wow. Wow, that's that's interesting because, as you know, and all of us know, you know, the security with one, you know, click one, you know, whatever we call it, HFXE or auto deployment, has been the, you know, the big problem. Yeah. And so, click once gives you this sort of one-time authorization. Where you is that right? Whereas a user, you say, I'm authorizing this application on my yeah, on my computer. You have to accept it. I love this model. And, you know, the, the uh, Microsoft anti-spyware thing does this as well, and all these new, the firewalls are coming, they're popping up and say, you know, do you want to block this or allow it? I love that model. That just works. You know, they don't have to go and actively find the port numbers to set into some UI somewhere. Yeah. It's brilliant, yeah, that stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. All right, Tony, I was really impressed by the mobile demo. That was Staggered at what you got done. Absolutely amazing. What do you think? <laughs> I mean... Everybody gets a round of applause, but you did, you know, in one day, an application for the Pocket PC and the smartphone with graphics. Well, we were a set of base graphics to start with, but to be quite honest, the thing that made all this possible was, was probably three cornerstones that changed the uh, ability to, to do this sort of thing in such a short space of time. It was the tool set, which is Visual Studio 2005. Yeah. It's just an amazing tool. You know, I just... I've been involved with this for probably nearly two years, actually, working with Redmond. And finally getting into RTM and being able to uh, use it in Angular is just amazing. And the support that we've got for devices in there is just on a different level to what we've seen before. The next piece that really enabled me to um, do this a lot more easily than I would have been able to do in the past was the Compact Framework 2.0. Um, with the Compact Framework 1, they did a great job of pairing it down to fit on constrained devices, but unfortunately, this is one or two really juicy uh, methods and things like that that people really wanted. And Microsoft mm. listened and they put all those back in. Serialization being well, one, and there's a whole yeah, list of them. Serialization is very key to what we've done here yeah. because uh, we can use strongly typed data sets now, right. which wasn't possible before, so that's one yeah. key piece. Uh, other things that made um, the, the agent that I generated that allowed online and offline working much easier is that things like the data set now has uh, get changes, it has merge, it has mm. those sorts of methods which were missing in the compact framework more out. Mm. And of course, in, in this sort of application, that just makes a world of you know, the joke on .NET Rocks, when uh, Chris Sells was just getting into uh, the compact framework, he didn't understand it, and he asked Rory, you know, what's this all about? And Rory said, uh, uh, it's easy, Chris. Compact framework is basically a wraparound system dot not implemented exception. <laughs> Sometimes I miss that guy. Yeah. I'm not saying anything. No, nope, not saying anything. <laughs> Uh, and it's and interesting that you hit immediately on, I mean, a couple of the key features that they added into Framework 2 really made a difference for you uh, today, getting so much done in such a little amount of time. I, I could have done most of what I've done here on Windows Mobile 2003 uh, with Visual Studio 2003, but uh, not really as easy and not in the time that I did it. Well, and, and it, you know, you showed it right at the end, that, that offline feature, the synchronized to local. Yeah. And... Anybody who knows anything in this space knows that's harder than it looks, but I guess CF2 really made a difference there, being able to serialize and get you set locally. Absolutely. Um, and we've, we've got extended overloads of some of the, uh, the methods now, so we can now write uh, a data set uh, to storage within my schema, things of that nature. Right. We couldn't, we couldn't do that before. I also like the fact that, you know, with all the 
time, all the little places that you shaved off time, you were able to actually do a really good NTR architecture for, you, you know, you built your component DLL, which did all the heavy lifting, and then you had your user interface, and maybe, you know, if it was more difficult and you weren't working with such a rapid prototype, yeah. uh, you know, rapid application development environment, you might not have done that. Absolutely not. Uh, even as it was, I invented some new swear words, but... <laughs> <laughs> But I sat down at the outset and thought, well, if I want to implement this on Pocket PC and smartphone, I don't want to be duplicating the code for right. performing the business budget. Right. So because we have a very, very high degree of compatibility between Pocket PC and smartphone now, I and mean, the platforms are really merging and coming together, I thought the easiest thing to do was to abstract all the business logic into a business logic layer DLL that both platform deployments used and have put all the business logic in there. Mm. So all I was having to do on the two devices was to implement the pure UI component. Just the controls themselves. No right. And Visual Studio 2005 even has great features that allow you to do that very quickly and very easily so that uh, you don't actually have to do all that work twice either. Let me uh, throw a question out for all you guys. Did any of you um, learn anything, I mean, new today in working with this stuff that that the light bulb didn't go on before today, or, or something you found out and discovered? For me, it was how easy it is to learn about how to use the tools while you're using the tools. Yeah. Because everything's at your fingertips. Right. The thing I learned was just how professional these guys are, how good they are at what they do. I just thought what they produced today was absolutely awesome. Well, and you too. You, yeah, you were there too, Graham. I mean, the, the four of you were scrambling this morning. Yeah. But I think we actually had a visit by the press at one point. A couple of ladies dropped in just to see how you guys were doing it. At that point, I hadn't realized because I was sunken in. I was prepping a session. But I suddenly realized the room had gone totally silent. And it had been silent for an hour. We were all head down and typing as hard as we could type. And I, shortly after that, the, the, the folks left. And I was done. I had to get ready for my, my session was ready. So I shut down and I went out and I found them and I said, I don't know if you've ever seen, you know, what programmers actually look like when they work. It's, it's really not all that interesting, is it? I felt really embarrassed that I was standing there when they were working so hard. He says, you may not realize this, but they had no idea you were there. And they couldn't care less. They're in their heads and they're working. You know, the world disappears. Not in a mean way. You know, they, but that's the reality of it is when you're in your, in, you know, everybody here is nodding their head, right? You're in your code. You're in your code. And, that, and the whole room was like that. And for all of us, very normal state of being. But it was interesting to see you know, non-programmers sort of witness this and go, oh, they're working. Yeah. <laughs> and, and leave. Anybody else? Uh, something that you discovered today? I definitely think the thing that I noticed very much, uh, and it struck me while the four of us were doing our presentations, uh, and although we were using dramatically different platforms and ended up with things that look quite different in different ways, mm. we were fundamentally all four of us doing exactly the same thing. Mm. We were working with the same kind of controls, the same right. kind of data binding technology, same kind of coding, the same languages and so on. And uh, to have that capability supported through Visual Studio for such diverse range of user interfaces yeah. struck me as, as actually we were able to transfer, you're able to transfer a lot of knowledge from one now, if you think about it, the old question, and I say it's an old question, and you'll see why in a minute, used to be, should we do a web app or should we do a Windows app? The answer is obvious now. You do both. You do both. You do whatever you need for the, for the audience that you're targeting. Isn't that, am I right? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's interesting to think about 
how much of the code between your four projects is common still. I mean, we know the web service is common because you shared it, but you all built very similar code right on top of that and then went to the UI from there. And obviously the UI implementations are different, but you all grab data sets. You know, an awful lot of that is exactly the same. Mm. Very much so. I mean, Tony built his business um, layer DLL and used it between a smartphone and a pocket PC application. But actually, probably all four of us could have used it. Could have taken that DLL and run with it. But you know what? The other thing is so trivial and easy to create these data sets and use them with virtually no code of your own. Is it worth it? You know what I mean? So. Because the uh, <coughs> code that I was writing was using the Compact Framework, which is a subset yeah. of the full-blown desktop framework, you could have actually taken that it's true. source code Run it. and compiled it into a desktop application. And sure, absolutely. Yeah, if you let us have it. <laughs> <laughs> Is it yeah, an interesting spin on this would have been, what if you guys had broken into a tools group and a UI group? And, and it had two mm. layers working as well. Mm. I just see there's more oppor- This model so compelling to me is to showing the capabilities of the system. There's a couple of other ways we could have spun this. Yeah, but Steve does think of pointy brackets. I'm allergic to pointy brackets. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you, man. So, what about you? Did you discover anything? Or uh, I think I think the biggest discovery is just how much can be done in such a short yeah. period of time. It's, it's witnessed by the four applications that we've all seen. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a big achievement to get that built in yeah. what I guess was probably in the end maybe three and a half, four hours yeah, coding it wasn't time, no more much. than that. Um, we, we've, uh, we presented a demo partway through. We had the problems up front, so I really don't think we got that much time. But the, the delivered results of four applications that work, they do what they should do, mm. they look pretty good, and, uh, and they're deployed on, on four different platforms. I think it's a, a real good proof of concept that, you can do rapid application development in a, a very short period of time, and that the tool set really supports it. Yeah, here, here. Yeah. Uh, you guys in the audience, have you had uh, similar experiences with this? Um, any stories that, or questions that you want to ask or stories to tell in working with this stuff? Don't be shy. <laughs> Anyone? Yeah. Let me ask the question on the microphone. So the question is, you strongly type data sets. Would you get the framework to write those data sets for you, and would you do that in a real world? And I know that, I know that Graham already pointed out the one who didn't use strongly typed data sets right. that he wish he had. Yeah. yeah. So I guess you're all nodding your heads. Do you have anything official answer to that? I've always been a huge, huge fan of strongly typed data sets. I yeah. to get my books at compile time, not at run time. Yeah. Um, if you're not using strongly typed data sets and you're putting commands and quotes, and right. sort of thing, it's just the ability now for me on, on device platforms to actually use strongly typed data sets because of new capabilities in CF2, yeah. um, it's, it's made the, uh, the actual development time shorter because it's, it becomes more robust and catching more things when you hit compile, uh, you get much better IntelliSense support, all that sort of thing. So to answer the gentleman's question, uh, I've been huge fan of strongly typed data sets since they first came out. Uh, I always get the uh, framework to generate them. If I need to customize them, then obviously, particularly now in the 2005 languages with partial classes, right. you, you can actually bolt onto the side of that, whereas previously, uh, your only option was inheritance, and then you had issues returning those from web services. Yes. So now in 2005, because of the language enhancements we have in, in VB and C-Shell, you can put your customizations in, in a partial uh, file. 
then if you regen that code, uh, there's no issues there. Because that's really the only caveat that we used to talk about type data sets. There was never a performance issue. In fact, performance is shown to increase in many cases. Yeah. Uh, and because you're using ordinals instead of, you know, strings, literal strings. So what you're basically saying is, you know, the old reasons for uh, not using strongly typed data sets was if you had to regenerate your type data sets with partial classes that, that goes a long way towards solving that problem. So, I mean, for me, uh, I don't know if these other guys agree, but strongly type data sets are a win-win situation. There's no reason not to use them. Well, I'd agree, and I'd say in Visual Studio 2005, the argument for using type data sets is even more compelling than it was, partly for the right. partial classes solution idea, and also simply because the tools now let you generate them so easily, mm. and then you get a really professional programming model when you're working with them. Right. Yeah. I'd, I'd kind of go along with it. The only thing I would say is that there are certain situations, and the situation this time is that the web service was returning those strongly typed data sets as its uh, return values. There are some situations where if you look at what is actually going over the wire, what is being passed can be bulkier than perhaps you might want. Sure. So there are some scenarios that we've encountered in live applications where we've chosen not to go down that route and use data sets at all, right. but to pass data in some other format. Well, yeah, strongly typed data sets were never aimed at particularly wire-efficient yeah. approach. That's right. It's really a, a flexible, rich... And the other thing is things. that they're Microsoft only, right? So they are. If you're using web services... Yeah, if you're using web services, typically you're doing this for interoperability, but you guys were using them just for the exposing of the logic on the server. Yeah, I mean, uh, perhaps I ought to qualify what I said in the light of Steve's very valid point. Uh, on devices, obviously, you're almost always on constraint bandwidth. Right? Yeah. Uh, so you do have to watch out for that, but uh, the trick there is to, to make sure that you're calling appropriate web services that return lean information that's right. only what the device needs and more yeah. than... You don't hit those sorts of performance scenarios because if you try and throw a chunk of data down as XML over uh, right. GPRS or something, yes, you're going to notice that. Um, as I was saying, the new advent of, of 3G devices is sort of uh, in the UK now we've got 3, 4K. Yeah, bandwidth's on, on its way up. So. It's on its way up yeah, on mobile devices. Right, yeah. So even if you want to return, and what's the alternative, right? A binary format, uh, sockets, you know, remoting? Yeah, back to remoting would be my first. No, I don't think so. Oh, boy! <laughs> Anybody else got a question? Yeah. Kind of an observation, really. Kind of, our users have been used to certain time frames between them wanting stuff and them getting stuff. When .NET came along, we kind of wowed them with what we could give them in a, in a certain amount of time. I think what everyone's seen today in the other sessions... It's time to wow our users all over again of what they can get in their certain time frame. It's an interesting point. I mean, I'll, you know, the, I, let me spin your question in other ways. Are we about to get seriously punished for cranking out pretty looking, good looking app in four hours flat? Like, I hope there's no employers in the room. <laughs> we could be in, in some serious trouble. But, but the thing is, you tell your project manager it still takes as long as it used to. That's yeah. right. And you go to the beach for five days and you do it on the last day. Well, you know, the, the opening from your question actually is what didn't you do? There's a bunch, these are not production ready apps. Um, sure. You know, what's maybe left? there's some, some points we could hit on about stuff that's missing. Uh, I know, you, Steve, you implemented security to yeah. some degree, at least a login. Many of you didn't. You, you bypassed that part because. You know, security always comes last, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, any particular features? If you had another four hours, what would you add? 
You had another hour. You're, you're done, you aren't you? You never want to touch that app again. <laughs> Just Graham said, it compiles. Yeah, it's out of here. <laughs> no, for me, it would be definitely improving the look and feel some more, uh, making yeah. it uh, a more intuitive UI. Uh, what I what I put together works, and it's yeah. not too bad. It, it can be followed, but there would be definitely shortcuts. I think mm. so. It'd be more focus on the UI for me. That was the last thing. The the security went in pretty early for me because it underpinned quite a lot of of the rest of the functionality that I needed. So. Right. So it wasn't a last-minute thing. Um, but in my case, it was only the last 20 minutes where the formatting and the style sheets and the theming got... And that's, got a, good, that's a good point, Steve. How, how difficult would it be taking, to take what you have, give it to a non-programming CSS wizard, somebody who's like a graphics guru? You know, we, we have people we know who do this. Yeah. How easy would that be? That would be pretty straightforward. None of the formatting is actually done in the web forms, in the ASPXs at all. Uh, all of the formatting is done in the form of themes. Um, I've used ASP.NET themes in this one. So the whole definition is, is uh, stored in a couple of cascading style sheets, um, a skins file which defines the skin IDs for different controls and a whole bunch of images. And uh, none of that is programmer-oriented, really. It's something that someone with design skills would be much more comfortable and with. And would, would they use Visual Studio as the design tool or would they use another tool? Uh, to the best of my knowledge, I don't think there's much else that supports the skins technology at the moment, but there are many good CSS, CSS. editors. Yeah. And graphical editors, and that's the majority of the work. So the chances are they'd go off and use Dreamweaver or whatever it is they're particularly right. familiar with. And that's good because, you know, as you know, this has been a big problem with web application development in general, is the syncing up between the graphics people and the, and the code people often involves reinventing and reiterating and reformatting. Yeah, it's, it's and, those iterations that kill you. It's one thing for you to build it, hand it to the designer, he makes it beautiful. You go back in and alter the code again, and did you break his style? Yeah. And when you give it back to him, how much code does he break along the way? Uh, yeah. Those iterations are the ones that drive me mad. Well, in this case, if they just build a new theme, then it's uh, a single line of uh, a single statement within the right. config file to switch to that theme. You maintain That's that isolation. Absolutely, completely isolated. All right, well, if there are no more questions, I'd like to thank uh, our four esteemed programmers here today, and thank you to the throng of people who turned out for VBug. Thank you very much. Show, you've heard me talk about ASP.NET tools from Telerik at T-E-L-E-R-I-K.com. They've recently released a new version of their RAD control suite, Q3 2005, and I'd like to tell you about it. Telerik RAD control suite is the most innovative and comprehensive tool set for ASP.NET development, allowing professionals to build web solutions with the UI richness and responsiveness of desktop applications. The latest milestone release 
Q3 2005 is the first on the market to bring full XHTML 1.1 and accessibility compliance with WCAG Level A and Section 508, thus enabling developers to build standards-compliant web applications easier and faster than ever. Added to this are key updates to four of Telerik's most popular products, RAD Editor, RAD Grid, RAD Tree View, and RAD Rotator. RAD Controls is also available with an annual subscription option for all updates and new components added to the suite within a year of your purchase. Hey, did you know the .NET Rocks website was done with the Telerik menu? That's right, if you use the menu on the left-hand side, you're using Telerik's products. So go check them out at www.telerik.com. And uh, I hope you enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. Now we're back in Slough with Graham Parker. Hi, Graham. Hey. Hey, Carl. Hey, Richard. And the sound that you hear uh, that you normally don't hear is the cars whizzing by the V-Bug office. Very close to the street, but uh, that's okay. We don't, you know, we don't have a portable recording studio. Yeah. Hey, look, it's live. It's real. It's you know? real. We're, we're, on, we're out in the field. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was really awesome. The, uh, the code off and, uh, you did a great job and the rest of the guys did a great job. Did it go as well? I mean, I thought it went incredibly well, better than I thought it would have really. Yeah. I think after, um, after the code off and we, we started to receive feedback from the audience, we hadn't actually realized how well it had gone until people kept coming up to us and saying, man, that was the best thing I've seen. That's the best V-Bug session I've been to. That was just awesome. Yeah. And I think all the rockheads out there, can I say that? On <laughs> sure, show? Know, yeah, yeah, hey, rockheads. Um, <laughs> I think all the rockheads out there would really love to have been there. It yeah. was really good. It, the thing that astounded me, I mean, it, you guys struck the perfect balance. You didn't go and, you know, recruiting the Don Boxes of the world to do this. It was not staged. They had very little time, but they were local guys, obviously talented. I mean, no two oh, ways yeah. about it. Absolutely. Rob and Steve and yourself and Tony, I mean, all really talented folks. No question about it. But you you live here. This is your your town and and your neighborhood, and and everybody knew you, and 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 you guys all came up with something really impressive. It, they they worked. No two ways about it. Yeah, and the way the whole thing flowed um, from sort of one, the Windows Forms was first. Uh, then we looked at uh, the office, right, and yeah. then the web forms, and right. finally the mobile. It just all really did demonstrate um, the power Visual Studio, everything in one tool to do those four UIs. And don't think we're not going to steal this idea. Oh yeah, oh, oh no we, question. We know that <laughs> we were we were all over that. Uh, I mean, the other the other North American that was in the room was Mark Miller, and he was jumping up and down about this thing. It's about as excited as I've seen Mark. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, yeah, we're we're gonna yeah. You guys will probably steal it, but you know, let's face it, Microsoft are probably going to steal it too. The challenge is going to be that the balance that you struck. I, don't, yeah, I think it's going to be very great. tough to find the combination of of local stat, local people as well the as talent, the skills, the presentation everybody can skills. Really, it just I mean, it worked, was all really well. Worked really, well really well. And it was a fun interview for us. Yeah, I yeah. mean, we really had a good – it was easy to sit down and talk. Yeah, and, uh, and there was a lot of laughter, wasn't there? And I think the whole yeah. conference was very lighthearted and relaxed. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's not a huge crowd. I think about 150. Yeah, something like that. Very warm. Uh, as a, you know, North American crowds and, and English crowds are going to be different. 
the, although I not think that much different. They're I mean, not as different just... as I, I really got the impression. People kept having us, you know, we may be a little restrained to what you're used to, but believe me, we really appreciate it. I'm thinking, you know what? You're not that restrained. No, no. I was pretty <laughs> sure you guys like what we were doing. You know, we were pretty comfortable uh, with what was going on. I think people left their stiff upper lip at the door, didn't they? For that <laughs> yeah, conference. yeah. Well, and. You know, in the end, we're all developers, and we're all in the room. We're genuinely trying to get work done and uh, trying to make things happen. And I think uh, when, you, when you're genuine about what you're doing, and that's, I think, what came across more than anything else in that recording. Everybody was genuine. Yeah. They were all taking a chance. You were out there. You didn't know if you are going to get it done or not. You're all prepared to face plan. That's true. Yeah. And manage to get something working. Hey, uh, is this, uh, was this a gathering typical of a VBUG meeting? I mean, was it other than the content that you were showing, was it typical of a VBUG meeting in terms of size? Um, in terms of the conferences that we've run, the I think the most we had was in 2001 when .NET was still very new, and we had about 350 hmm, come wow. to a conference. Um, we had, you know, Dan Appleman, Peter Vogel, Rob yeah. and Steve, and the usual sort of UK speakers as well. Yeah. Um, so the conference this year was probably around about the average kind of size for a, for a VBUG conference. Um, but we, what we do um, around the UK is there's groups in Coventry, um, Ipswich, uh, London, Reading, Bristol, and they all have evening So you have meetings. lots of users. VBUG isn't yeah, just v- one user group. No, no. VBUG, VBUG covers is national group. It co- covers the whole of the UK. Okay. And the dedicated coordinators in all of the regions put on all their own groups wow. uh, and all their own meetings. And they get they get speakers and uh, they get yeah. a good local attendance. Seems so like a very like Ineta ish kind they're of. They're very Ineta like that, yeah. but they're more grass. You know, they're very grassroots and set up. All I right. just like I'm really thinking about the idea of wow, everybody cooperating, yeah. getting along. <laughs> How interesting! <laughs> Maybe we could take some of that back to the North Americans <laughs> as well. Yeah. No, no, and it's great that you've set up this uh, this organization to sort of uh, you know deal with the logistics because I can imagine it. It's quite a lot. I mean, just to get swag from place to place is you know takes a bit of effort, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And the the guys we have a obviously a central office staff, and and they arrange um, for these events to take place, and they get involved in booking speakers and shipping people around and shipping boxes and things. So logistically, things run centrally, but the local groups have a lot of independence in terms of the meetings they run and the speakers they have and the languages they choose to show as well. Sure. Like they don't always do stuff in VB. There's lots right. of C-sharp. It's probably about half the audience is C-sharp and V-bug. half V-bug as well. Yeah, yeah, we yeah think it's a great so. name. Um, so how many, how many user groups are there that you represent? I think, you there's, I think there's 12. And after the conference, uh, Mark, the chairman, told me that a couple of people came up out of the audience and said, we want to start a V-Bug group in South Wales and we want to start one in Derby. So um, mm. we've we've run we run groups regularly around the UK in about twelve different regions, wow. um, but there's others starting up as well, and we we'll just take the technology where people want to see it. Really, now the, you four who did the code off, you Steve, Rob, and Tony. Do, do you guys go and speak at these other user groups? Are you yeah, like some sort t- of central to the? All of them, or do you, do you no, have your own no, groups not, that you not not really? Um, some sometimes Steve, Rob, Tony, Tony speaks at the Manchester group. He lives up that way. Uh, Rob Rob lives uh, a bit further south, so he speaks at, sometimes speaks to his local group in Bournemouth. Yeah. So there's um, you know people do contribute to their local area rather than um, it being all run centrally. So yeah, it's fabulous. Do you notice that uh, they're resistant to travel, aren't they? 
A little bit. We, we're, I mean, maybe it's a North American thing where we just used to driving a lot further. Well, not necessarily <laughs> everyone, though. Well, in New England, where I live, you know, the towns, are, the major cities are fairly close together. I'm two hours from Boston, two and a half from New York City. It's really not a big deal from, it, it, well, you know, from a Californian standpoint, yeah. it's not a big deal. It, you know, they, they assume that we could just pop over to Boston, you know. Chris <laughs> Kinsman gave me a call when he was speaking at the Boston User Group, and he said, hey, I'm coming in your way. You want to just meet for lunch somewhere? And I was like, Oh, you know, it's a two-hour drive. I'm like, oh, yeah, I probably can do that. And then I look at my schedule. I figured it, I couldn't. I said, yeah, it's going to be kind of a drive for me. He's go, oh, I was just looking at the map. It looks like it was just next door, right? Because <laughs> that's what it, it looks all compressed. But you know, when I lived in California, they would think about the same of driving from LA to San Francisco. Oh, that's going to take a while. You know what I mean? Yeah, but that's like six hours driving. Yeah, <laughs> six hours driving. So I think, you know, you guys in the UK, you know, you have your dis- long distances are different than, than you know, what it is. It's scale thing. I think so, definitely. And your roads are crazy. And you guys know yeah. you're on the wrong side of the road. You're rebels. We, we are. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was you guys. Well, wait a minute. Didn't we invent the automobile? I think uh, it's you guys that drive on the wrong side of the road, mister. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, Rebels, you know, I was speaking with it. And what's with reserving the seats in the back of the room rather than the front of the room? Oh, that's just a Microsoft thing. They, oh, they do that to get people down to the front. So it's, Oh, uh, I get it. I thought that's where the VIPs sat in the back, you know, so they could <laughs> throw sandwiches and stuff in. Well, it was great fun talking. And, of course, I did a couple of sessions as well as the, the thing that we did with the code off. And I had a great time. Great crowd. Yeah, it's good, good asking good, good questions. Yeah, some of the jokes though didn't quite go over as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the, I did the keynote here, and, and it was laden with jokes, and and I, you know, realized after the fact that some of the the jokes were, you know, North American, very, very North American. I showed a picture of Gallagher, you know, saying, and you know, out, we've interviewed Alan Cooper. A picture of Gallagher comes yeah. up, total silence. Nobody knows who Gallagher is. Yeah, right? but then you did the, then you popped up Prince Charles, and they all thought that was, yeah, funny. yeah, that's funny. <laughs> Oh, well, anyway. So what what else besides uh, organizing user groups goes on here at VBug? Like, what what other things are you involved in besides the user groups? Do you, you know, you said, you told me you sell MSDN subscriptions yeah. and magazine subscriptions, too? Or? Yeah, we, we um, started to, um, with people's membership, deliver yeah. a free magazine. And the first, firstly, we shipped Visual Basic Developer magazine, and then we thought it'd be kind of nice if people could choose the magazine they had, yeah. so they could get a VB magazine or a SQL Server magazine. Yeah, um, and then that kind of grew, and people started to then choose different magazines from different publishers, and so we distribute about fifteen different, um, wow. most, mostly American titles. Nice. And with the membership, people get to choose the magazine they want to oh, have. Wow. So if you're working on a SQL Server project, you might choose to get SQL Server and then six months later you you might decide to swap it for the MSCN magazine or something. So great idea. Yeah, What's a membership cost? Um a individual membership for a year is hundred and forty nine pounds, I think. Uh-huh. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um and we That's let reasonable. people we let people pay by a monthly standing order. So it works out about fourteen pounds a month. Mm-hmm. Right. Something like that. So it seems like a natural, uh, a natural progression for you guys to get into the consultancy business. Do you think so? Yeah, I sort of think yeah. so. <laughs> well, don't you? Um, I mean, you sort of wrinkled your nose at that. Idea. Well, I, I don't know because some things sit well with community and some things don't. Yeah. And it's finding the things that work. 
um, really. The, the issue I'd have with consultancy is now you're stepping into the space that many of your members are in. But I don't mean a consultancy in terms of you, you the organizers of VBUG doing the work. I mean, it's a sort of a, a reference place. Oh, uh, we do. Know, well, we do that already. Just a referral. Yeah. Referrals. We do that already. It's, it's like, I guess if you went to the head of um, Cap Gemini and said, why don't you buy your consultancy from this user group? They'd sort of poo-poo the idea, really, and right, not think yeah. it was a good idea. But if the head of Cap Gemini said, hey, hey, you guys at VBug, do you know a really good right. um, ASP.NET developer that can help me? Yeah, sure, we do that We do that kind of stuff all the time for our members. Right. So, and is it just a matter of going, you know, at a, at a meeting saying somebody's looking for a blah, 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 see me after and getting people yeah, in touch think, that way? I think the whole... It's a really good idea that you're tapping into to this idea that community is actually a big opportunity as Huge, well. yeah. And um, by people getting involved in the community, it's not just learning the technology and improving your skills. It's also the, the networking that you get and the chance to meet people um, and the kind of word of mouth that you get. So we often have uh, people coming into the office saying, you know, I'm looking for a job or I'm looking to hire somebody. Do you know somebody in the Manchester area that can build me a mobile app? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we, we kind of pass those referrals on. So that's community. I mean, you've got this community engine here. You've got the referral part. You've got a resources part in terms of we have all those magazines uh, is there, and, and access to MSDN as well. You're selling MSDN subscriptions. I mean, these are all facilitations for people yeah, to we, learn more. We just like um, our members to to kind of think of us as the the, the friend in the industry, really, yeah, right. to pick up the phone, talk to one of the guys in the office, do you know where I can get this? Do you know a good component that will um, right. help me build, you know, a, a um, RSS application or w- whatever it is? Right. Um, you know, we just really do encourage people to, um, to talk to each other, yeah. really, share ideas, call in, get to know people, network a bit more. So yeah, it's, that's great. Yeah, it's really, it really is a bed of vibrant, innovation really in the uk so let's talk about you personally and what what your experience is and uh you know i just one of the things you said in the code off was i'm looking for a job and this is just two days ago yeah that was a bit cheeky wasn't it but you know <laughs> were you really you know, looking for a job was, yeah absolutely and everybody absolutely else i mean we did for, for each person we'd said so who are you and what do you do and so right. forth and you know they all had their repertoire things and but you ended off with well and i'm looking for a job yeah and that actually really paid off. <laughs> got a good laugh well, for it. It got a good no, not just the laugh um, or the laugh. Yeah, um, because within about half an hour of walking out of that session, I'd had a, um, two people come up to me and said, "Graham, are you serious? Are you really know, looking you, for a job? You really looking for a job? You know, we might have something." And wow, yeah, and it just came straight out of um, out of the session. Couple of leads and. Um, on the way to meet you guys this morning, somebody actually offered me a job that starts on Monday. And we're talking, you know, we said this on stage on Wednesday. Someone came up, um, offered me a job on Friday, a start on the Monday. There and that's you the, go. That's the rich. That's you know, community that's working, from, right? Yeah, that's a is, whole mess of community yeah, going yeah. on. Yeah, so good job too, because Christmas is coming. And I, yeah. you know, I kind of could use the money. What better reason to get involved with the local, your local community, wherever it is, as in terms of speaking, getting in front of people and, and talking? Yeah. Well, yeah. Like you guys have been involved in community for for quite a while. I f- I first got involved with the Visual Basic User Group in '94. Yeah, and you know if there is a message that we take out to all the rockheads out there, you know, don't just stay in your bedroom playing with technology. Get out there, get involved in the community because there, you know, there's stuff to do. There's 
is interesting. Right. It's and there's people who actually can understand what you say. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And, yeah. And are interested. And are yeah. interested. Yeah. yeah. I find that's a big problem. A lot on the road trip, we met several people who came up to us and said, "I really, really appreciate your show because I work in a vacuum." Yeah. You know, a lot of us do work in isolation, especially those who just are getting into it, you know, at home. Don't have people like us to talk to about bouncing ideas off of them, asking about things. So, and I've, I've, always, a good idea. I've always found that that involvement in the, in the community um, always leads to um, making you stand out a little bit more when you go for that job advert as well. Right, sure. People say, well, you know, they, they look and they can see what you've done and uh, you may have had some recognition for that, for the work you've done in the community. And they say, well, you know, this guy's really serious, not just serious about development, he's passionate about it. Right, And, you right. know, I want that guy working for me. So, yeah. you know, getting getting involved is, a, is good for your own career development, really, as well as... Sure. And you say getting involved, and it made me think, it doesn't necessarily mean speaking. I mean, you're yeah. obviously a capable speaker. We've done plenty of that, and... And the guys that were up on stage for this show were all obviously experienced speakers. They were very comfortable up there. But there's a lot more to running a community than being on stage. And we met a number of the V-Bug folks, the local coordinators and so forth, that may or may not have been speakers. But we're working hard. We're well-connected. And we're obviously technical people. So, I mean, it doesn't require enthusiasm for public speaking. No, not not at all. Even if you answer somebody's message in a forum, you know, on the right. Microsoft forums or a news group or a, a website or whatever, you're, you're actually contributing to somebody else. And it's that – I think it's attitude, really – Rather than yeah. anything else, you know, people don't people don't do it because they want to make a name for themselves and get on. Right. They do it because they have that kind of attitude and um, they want to contribute to right. to what's and networking to what's happening. as well. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, it's been suggested at several of these venues that you know we spent. I'm talking about the road trip that we just came off of. That you know, it was a two and a half to three hour presentation, almost nonstop. And I heard a couple of people say, "Man, there's no time for networking." So. Uh, I think there's a, you know, in, at least where I come from, there's a big demand for getting people together and just yeah. giving them coffee or whatever and letting them loose on each other, you know? Yeah, and that that certainly happens in the UK in terms of business. Um, lots of people have, have found work by attending a user group meeting. People have started companies. Um, yeah. You know, the guys on stage... Um, we we started a training company a few years ago, mm-hmm. yeah. just, and we all met through the user group. Right. So just getting involved can lead to um, sure. business opportunities and, and things like that well, as well. So it's you, important. Even in the conference, you guys made a very salient effort to create those half-hour and 15-minute breaks so that yep. people had a chance to stop and talk to each other for a while. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. very important. So conference leaders and, and uh, user group leaders out there, if you're listening, this is a good thing. Give yeah. people some time to just mingle and network. Right. Yeah, our our service as folks, you know, working in this space and entertaining in this space is helping. Edutaining, edutaining <laughs> is to is to create an environment that encourages that kind of communication. Yeah, it's about you know giving people some ideas to talk about, so that there's a conversation that can go on and they can get to know each other as much as get to know us. Graham, what's the coolest project you ever worked on? Uh, now you're putting me on the spot. I am. <laughs> I think I think the coolest project the I was I've worked on is the. Um, we Rock and We Fly projects. Tell us about that. We haven't talked about that. No, on we Dyna haven't. Rocks no. Well, many of the rockheads out there may have seen the We Rock projects and the We Fly projects. They were um, an, an initiative that started in the UK. And the idea behind it was, you know, 
the technology presentations that Microsoft deliver tend to just focus on one area. So this is ASP.NET, this is mobile, this is yeah. WinForms. Yeah, each of the teams build their own demos. They, they tend to, they don't yeah. cross over. And this, this was an initiative um, where lots of different Microsoft technologies were put together in an end-to-end environment. So, so it's a project? Yeah, it's a project with um, code that runs on Visual Studio 2005. Um, some of it was written specifically for Beta 1, then upgraded to Beta 2, Visual Studio 2005. Some was done for Visual Studio 2003. And the idea is that you could dip into the code, you can see how it works. Um, the code was written under the um, the kind of mentoring of um, Microsoft Consultant Services guy. And because of that, it all used best practice. So right. it used of all, lots of the application blocks and lots of patterns and things. And it was a way of um, just seeing all this technology working together. So it's real stuff you can get your hands on and, and understand. Is it easy to understand, well commented, that kind of stuff, well documented? It, it's um, fairly easy to understand. Uh, I'm, okay. I'm hesitating there because yeah. I, I think um, when I saw some of it for the first time, I was taken a little bit back by you know the levels of indirection, the layers and I the abstraction, see. and seeing how someone from MCS might write something right. um, compared to how you know the average developer might write something. But you can certainly learn a lot. Sure. From looking at it, there are little pieces you can chew off, and there's bits yeah. you can chew off, and there's presentations, and so there's I, a whole yeah, there's a whole website supported, um, dedicated to supporting people that use it as well. Cool. I first saw it, and I don't know who it went out to, but I got a copy of a DVD with a cartoon guy playing guitar, sort of yeah, way yeah. rock, yeah. yeah. And uh, un- you know, unfortunately, I never dipped into it, but I did see that it looked like it looked like mobile, mobile stuff. Yeah, at that some time. of it. Yeah, and the mobile stuff was involved as well. Yeah, and, and I got a chance when we were putting together the road trip, and I was doing the mobility stuff. I looked at the We Fly twenty four seven, which was uh, uh, ready for the release version of uh, the mobility components, at least. And there was some challenges in getting everything running, but it was very interesting stuff. I mean, a, fa- a fairly sophisticated app. Uh, and I guess that's part of the, as I understand it, not everything got upgraded. Not all of the bits in WeFly and WeRock have made it to the RTM version. Yeah, that's right. That's how I understand it as well, that the mobile, um, the WeFly Mobile 5.0 um, was, was upgraded, but some of the other um, projects yeah. weren't. Didn't make and, it all and I think that's typical of some, of some of these Microsoft projects and changing project managers and things. Sometimes the funding isn't, isn't there right. to take things forward. So what's the difference between WeRock and WeFly? They're just two different projects. We oh, rock two is, different projects, I we, see. We Rock is based around a virtual rock um, Rock company. band yeah. venue, right? Yeah. yeah. You can. The idea is it's, it's an imaginary company. You can hire um, holograms of the Rolling Stones and have them play at your party. <laughs> Wait, I could use this to manage my band. <laughs> there you go. All right. Yeah, yeah. You can hire equipment, um, yeah. that kind of stuff. And the We Fly thing was based around an airline. I see. So we could, um, you know, you could use a pocket um PC application for the um, hostesses on the air, airline to go around and take your drinks and tap that off. Oh, and man. then the, the pilots had a WinForms app that they could use to check that the machine, uh, the, the airplane was safe. And there was a web app as well for discovering, you know, in flight um, where the plane was and all that kind of stuff. Wow. So it was just like these two fictitious scenarios. And I state fictitious because we did have to um, put a disclaimer on yeah. the WeFly application typically along microsoft lines you must not use this wi-fi application in a real airline yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) you think there was a danger of that maybe 
So, uh, and you said, you say it was an initiative started in the UK. Was this started within Microsoft or did some yeah, of you guys so. go to I Microsoft was, and say, we want to do this? No, I think it was, I, I think it was started within inside Microsoft, but with, um, some of the, a lot of the ideas came from Rob McDonald, who was on stage right. that we just heard. Um, and he worked very closely with one of the, um, product managers, Lester Madden, mm-hmm. and they put these, um, ideas together. And uh, VBug helped organize the community around that. So to put the website together and get people talking about the technology at the different events. Oh, that's great. So what was your role inside the project? I was writing some of the WinForms apps and writing a lot of the labs in the, in the WeRock project. All right. So if you go to learn247.net slash WeRock or WeRock247, I think it is, yeah. you get the whole WeRock app. And there's a whole load of labs that you can work through. And we, we wrote the, I wrote the labs and tested the labs and wrote them in C Sharp and Visual Basic. So, Great. Yeah, Does good. this have anything to do with the .NET 247 website? Or was it just a... No, a it doesn't. Sort of a- it's, just a, it's just a bit of a coincidence, actually. They both end in 247. Yeah. Um, but .NET 247, that's Matthew Reynolds' is yeah, Matt Reynolds. well done uh, website. Yeah, yeah, it's a great site. Yeah, I, it's I still site. use it as a great place to look for .NET you know, yeah, information. And we, we just saw that learn247.net was available as domain. And we thought, hey, uh, you know, that's quite, good. that's quite good too. Right. So it's a way of learning about .NET technology 24-7. So what's, uh, what's coming up for you? What's next on your agenda? Well, I start work on Monday. <laughs> so that's good. Do you know what you're going to be doing? Yeah, what are you going to be doing? Yeah. Um, I'm going to be working for a company that's, that has um, lots of different web servers in lots of different uh, countries working with uh, web services um, and SQL Server 2000. There's a big port across to SQL Server 2005. Awesome. Yeah. And, um, exactly what I'll be doing, I don't know, but it, but it sounds pretty, you know, pretty interesting. I'm I'm really excited because it's a, it's working with some guys that I've wanted to work with for a long time. Is it close to home? Uh, yeah, it's reasonable. It's maybe an hour in the car or something. Okay. Yeah, not plenty of time to listen to DNR. That's it, or on the way. some other yeah. podcast. I don't yeah. know, <laughs> or even I'm not going to tell you what to do. Or how to <laughs> even Terry Wogan on Radio Two. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, it's been great. Thanks for your hospitality and inviting us over here. Thanks for having me on your show. Oh, and we had a ball coming to your conference, and we would do it again in a minute. Yeah, you bet. And uh, I don't know. I got a feeling I'm going to see you soon for some reason. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure why. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned. We'll let you know what's going on with that. And uh, as far as that goes, I'd like to thank everybody else for listening, and Jeff for editing, and Richard, thank you. Graham. Yeah, thanks, Carl. It's been great. Thanks, Richard. We'll talk to you later. .NET Rocks can be found online at www.dotnetrocks.com and at msdn.microsoft.com slash dotnetrocks. .NET Rocks is edited each week by Jeff Maciolik, that's me, and Carl Franklin, who is also executive producer. All music heard on .NET Rocks, including Toy Boy, the theme song, is created and produced by Carl Franklin and Franklin Brothers Band. Carl never sleeps. .NET Rocks is produced for Franklin's Net by Plop Productions, providing professional audio and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. Plop, it's time to get your impact back. Toy Boy!